Jen. Hi, Sarah. We're recording all of these like back to back to back. Yeah. Everybody, everybody, sorry, we don't have new stuff to talk about because yeah, <laughs> our banter is like back to back to back because we're going, <laughs> I'll talk about why because um, I'm traveling all over the place for the next three weeks. It's nice. You deserve yeah. nice things. Well, I'm going to Rhode Island where I'm from and I'm going to see my mom who I haven't seen in a while thanks to a pandemic and then I'm going to California where my husband is from. And we're going to see his mom, who we haven't seen in a while, thanks to a pandemic. Yes. Um, And then we're going to D.C. We are. And I'm very excited about that. Uh, Welcome, everyone, to Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor. And we did that uh, on the Zoom Oh, yeah. It was cute. We're, so Faded States is back, you guys. Um, if any of you phone banked with us in 2020 and want to phone bank with us again in 2022, now is the time for us to all get together and, you know, hang out on Zoom on Saturdays. So you can find information on all of that on Twitter mainly, um, but also sometimes on Instagram. I think we ha- we are going to start back up in August, uh, so stay tuned for that stuff. But anyway, we had a Faded States call, yes, a Faded States Zoom on Saturday with the ACLU to phone bank Kansas because post Roe, Kansas is the first state that has abortion actually on the ballot, right? And those Kansans are sneaky. Because they have put this referendum, this this amendment to the Kansas Constitution on the August 2nd special primary election ballot, which is not great. And, well, it's not great for, it, un, like, just in general to it's put it on a great, primary ballot. It's not a primary right? ballot. But, and at a weird time. But Kansans also vote in closed primaries, which means if you're, you, you know, register as a Democrat, you're voting for Democrats, register as a Republican, you're voting for Republicans. And so... You have to also, and so like if you are an independent voter, which apparently is very common in Kansas, you, I think people might think like there's literally nothing for me to go to the polls for. So essentially they are trying to sneak it through at a time when. Like a huge, not majority, but a huge number of Kansans. There are more independents in Kansas than there are Democrats. Right. Like apparently y'all in Kansas are very. Uh, yes. You're very independent. You're, Live free or die, but in the middle. <laughs> and so, yeah, so the whole thing just really stinks. And so we made faded mates phone calls. And you know what was great? People were great. Yeah. People Listen, were guys, super I into it. it was going to yeah. be terrible. Yeah, it was awesome. I thought it, I really did. I was like, oh, boy, this is going to be awful. It was not at all awful. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, it was great. There were so many people who we talked to in Kansas who were like, I'm I'm not a Democrat, but I am definitely pro. I'm definitely voting no on this. Like I'm not I'm not in favor of abortion, but I definitely think the government shouldn't be in our bodies. Yeah. And listen, this is one of those those situations where we know that more than 60% of the country is on our side. And the yeah. goal is just to get people out. Just so right. if you are in Kansas, if you are thinking about Kansas, if you know people in Kansas, yeah. um, remind them. August 2nd is the election. You can go even if you're an, an independent. Mm-hmm. And yeah. 
the you want to vote no on this ballot initiative because right. it's all tweaky and confusingly and worded. Lots right. of language that's designed to confuse you, but it absolutely is the tee up for the Kansas State Legislature to ban abortion. Let me say one more thing, which is if you, we, by the time you hear this, we'll be done phone banking for this, but the ACLU is phone banking every day. So you might not be able to join a faded states phone bank, but you can join just a regular ACLU phone bank. We will put that link in show notes in case you are interested. Yep. So there's our faded states plug. Oh, can I plug my class? <gasps> yes. And also your book coming out. Hello. Oh, God, I have, I have so many things. So many things. So many things. Y'all, as you know, Jen and I really like talking about craft like all the time, which is, you know, you probably notice that from the podcast. So if you are out there and you are a writer and you are interested in an intensive workshop on conflict and a conversation with Naima Simone, Sophie Jordan, Adriana Herrera, and me about how you write conflict and how you layer conflict, I am teaching a class August 7th. So you can head over to my website and click writing class, sarahmcclain.net, and click writing class. And you can find all the information there or it'll be in show notes. Um, But it's a one-week-long kind of smorgasbord of things of discussion about craft. You'll get a class from me. You'll get a live discussion. Everything will be recorded. You'll be able to access the recordings. There's a Slack for discussion and Q&A, and hopefully it'll be really valuable. My plan is for every day of that week to have like new resources in the in the Slack, in the discussion boards, so that everybody can be really thinking about conflict, which as you know, Jen and I think is a pretty big piece of this romance puzzle. Yes. Amazing. And... You got some amazing starred reviews on Heartbreaker. Oh my gosh, it's all Sarah all the time. That's <laughs> beginning. I don't have anything to report, but if you need me to, I can like take a little interlude to talk about <laughs> the fact that right now my son has yes. my car, but also the keys to my husband's car, so I'm stuck home alone. That's like a fun thing that happens when they're 19. You're just hermiting in your robe. Exactly. I'm in my robe (laughs) with my cat. It's fine. I'm actually not that mad about it. But I was like, I have somewhere to be. You have to be home by 1130. (laughs) That's Jen interlude. Tell us about Heartbreaker. Yeah, I have a book coming out. End of August. August 23rd. Heartbreaker. Dream maker. Is that right? That's that Bonnie Tyler song, right? Well, now I'm thinking of a different one. Like, Heartbreaker. Like, what? Like, what is that song? I don't know. Isn't that, that's not Bonnie Tyler? I feel like I should know this. That's because, total you know, eclipse of the heart. It's also I Need a Hero, which was my. Mm, okay. Um, anyway, tell us about your favorite Bonnie Tyler song. But also, if you want if you want to pre-order uh, Heartbreaker, you can do that wherever books are sold. Um, Heartbreaker is a road trip romance. You know, we love a road trip here at Faded Mates. Uh, about a uh, master thief and the stern brunch duke. Mm-hmm who falls for her. Well done. There will be a Heartbreaker episode. Yeah. And if you want to order signed copies, talk about that, because I like to order signed copies. If you want to order signed copies, complete with, like, the cutest little keychain I've ever seen. It's a hotel. It's one of those classic, like, hotel room keychains. And it says, unlock the McLeanaverse. Stop it. I love it. Isn't that adorable? That is adorable. Thank you to Avon Books, my publisher, for delivering on Perfect. that. Um, the, that will come with signed copies of Heartbreaker from Word in Brooklyn. Links in show notes. Um, 
but also, and the audio is Mary Jane Wells. <gasps> I have already pre-ordered the audio. And also, I'm about to pre-order the books because you can't really do this to everybody, but I'm going to tell you something real ridiculous about me, which is I love to order books for my friends from, like, their signed places. And they're like, I would just send you one. And I was like, it is my job to support you. So, but uh, then I make demands. Like, you know, you fill out, like, do you want it yeah, signed? pretty bossy. Right? And I'm like, <laughs> this is Jen Reed's romance. Please sign the book with extensive praise about me. Like, I'm just like... <laughs> Or I just say, like, like right, like, real over the top, tell me how great I am. Like, that's what I want. And then I, like, get to open As it and see. As though I'm not writing a whole book for her next. But that's not enough. You know what? Listen, that's what I get for my $22 because I, <laughs> I like to order the hardbacks, too. I like to have a complete McLean I, You're very You're very nice, and thank you for your patronage. Sure. You're welcome. All right. So there's banter. Okay. Ten minutes of banter. Congratulations. We made it. Well done. <laughs> Oh, amazing. I um, love it. And now to the meat of this episode. Yes. Which is, we Get are a- talking about Talia Hibbert's Get a Life, Chloe Brown, which is really fucking charming. It really is. Now, this is a book that I think many romance readers really love. Like, right? Like, in the, it's the first of a charming series, although I, okay, let me tell you a story. We picked this book, and I was like, oh, yeah, I've read this book. I had not read Get a Life, Chloe Brown. I haven't read the second one. I've read the third one only, but somehow in my brain retconned that I had read the first one and the third one. I think at some point I'd started it. I'm not sure. Anyway, I definitely read it for the first time. And it really is charming. And I really understand the love for, like, this series, for Talia as an author, and for, like, just the this this book in romance Mm -hmm. for sure. It's so, there's so much about it that when you read it, you're like, oh, of course romance is into this. Yeah. Um, And that's not just because Talia's been around for a while and everybody, I mean, like, we've loved Talia from the jump. I think she, literally, we recommend her on one of our first interstitials. Like, she's just so... Yeah. she's, She's been around for a long time. And she has this great story where, and we'll put I think we'll find it on Kirkus and and, yeah. and link to it. But she was interviewed by Kirkus when I think her most recent Brown yeah, Sister book came probably. out. And she tells this story about how, like, in her when she wrote her first, first book, she was, like, 21. Her grandmother had just passed away. And she just, like, poured out this story. And then I think everybody knows, like, that that was only maybe five or six years ago. And so she has been just producing at this immense level. Yeah independently, as an independently published author, and now, and then finally, you know, some smart smart publisher, Avon Books, <laughs> you know, picked her up and said, why don't you come write for us? Yeah. And, um, and this series really feels like it is the extension of Talia Hibbert's whole... Yeah, thing, her right? whole vibe, right? Like, it just right, feels sure. like it's the next logical move. One of the things I... So I will include in show notes... Um, a early review I wrote of like Talia's like first two books, probably back when I was reviewing for the book queen. So we're talking like 2017, 2018, maybe. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I said at that time was when you get on to an author like early and then they like write a couple books pretty fast, one of the things that's really amazing is like you can see them leveling up. <laughs> In, yeah. in the right, like if you can As literally watch 
And this is kind of, I think, the other thing about these books is, you know, Talia really did, like, kind of burst onto the scene. And then, you know, she really, like, is honing her craft and, like, getting better. And, like, just to see that all happen in, like, such a short period of time, I think it's really cool. Because often, you know, it's like if if I discovered Sarah McLean with nine rules, like, a year later, it's, like, ten, you know, or probably a little or a little faster with the first series. But, you know, when you get someone who starts off in indie, you can sort of see them you know, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh my gosh, a couple months later, like I can see how these books are improving. So, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that in a mean way. I just mean like, no, authors evolving. get better, right? Yeah. yeah. Evolving. Yeah, and evolving. also you, as you write more and more books, you become more and more yourself, right? Yes. As a writer. Like the first books are always, I mean, I don't think this is will surprise anybody, but your like early books are always the result of, there, there's a lot of mimicry in early books, right? Yeah. It's I have loved whatever it is I've been reading this whole time or watching. If you're a fic writer, like right. I've been, I've been thinking about this, you know, for years and years, and finally set pen to paper, and I just sort of opened a vein and threw it all on the page. But as the books evolve, you get oh. fewer and fewer chance. You, you no longer have to mimic because you've got your own work to iterate on, and right. you also become more and more comfortable with writing your own sentence, like writing your own worlds. Um, And so what ends up happening in this series, I think, that's so interesting is, um, well, I also think these books are much meatier. They're much longer. Oh, yeah, right. And so she's got more runway. Yeah. And the characters have become, like, they become, like, really beautifully complex characters. I think the character work in these books is remarkable. That whole thing about length. I'm sure I've talked about this before. I heard somebody once talking about running and they were kind of like, yeah, I really just, like I ran a marathon once, but my preferred distance is like a half marathon. And I was like, oh, of course. Like, right. Like there's a thing. I'm just like better. Sometimes you read someone who writes short and they go long and you can tell like, okay, this is like a little harder. They don't know what to do. That did not feel this way. Instead, I was like, oh no, this is her distance, right? Whatever a full length novel is. And now I bet if I went back and read some of her shorter first books, I'd be like, oh, I could see how you did need more runway. So I, yep. that's the other thing is these books are so good, and yep. they really use the page count fully. It never felt like filler. Yeah. Like I said, there's so much character work in these books. Right. It's sort of not available to you when you're writing short. Because if you're going to put a plot on the page to, like, put gas in the engine and make there be a story and keep pages turning, it can't just be, like, all character. Yeah. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Kate McBrien, author of One Night Together, the third book in the Hidden Heart series. Listen, Kate just peeled back my cerebral cortex. (laughs) Poured a book into my brain. Okay, our heroine, Dr. Cassandra Papdakis, is very serious and very reserved and has a very academic, like, perfect, you know, proper life in the world. But she is on Santorini to reset and recharge and also find a handsome man. Bang the hell out of Leo Sutton, who she meets in a chance meeting. Uh, Leo is a playboy and the kind of guy who, like, you just, like, one night is plenty for Leo. Um, And they decide on, like, one intense night together. No strings 
No. No names. No names. Um, Of course, it's so great that when it's over, they're like, we got to, we have to know who, we have to reveal our identities to each other. Like, this has to go on, except... They are both children of rival international construction families, and neither of their families will be okay with these two doing anything together, let alone this business. High conflict, high stakes, high emotions. I love it. That's all we want. Put it in my veins. You can find out more about Kate at her website, katemcbryan.com, and follow her on all the socials. One Night Together is available in print and in E wherever you get your books. And thanks to Kate McBrien for sponsoring the episode. So let's talk about Chloe Brown then. Chloe Brown has a uh, brush with death in the prologue or first chapter of this book, right? And she, although she has, like, sort of made a life for herself, she suffers from fibromyalgia. Am I saying that right? Yes, that's correct. And so she lives with chronic pain. And because of that and the really suppressing influences that has had on her ability to, like, sort of live the life that she wants, she still lives at home. She works from home. She feels really isolated. But this brush with death essentially convinces her that she has, like, she doesn't want to essentially, you know, accidentally die on the street one day because she was in the wrong place at the one t- wrong time without having lived a life. And that is defined, by the way, by her. And that's one of the things I think is really smart about this book. It is not, like, I'm going to meet outside metrics for what living a life looks like. I am going to define what living a life looks like. And she does that as a romance heroine does, by making a list. Listen. <laughs> As we all know, I love a list. <laughs> I know. I was like, this will be really fun to talk about because I do the love get a, a life list. list. Oh, they get a life list, right? I mean, I will say this. If you love Callie and Nine Rules and like that whole list thing where she, I mean, yeah. this is for you. Chloe has a moment that is life-changing. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting because as an editor, right, you you probably think about this a lot. But one of the things that I struggle with often in my first drafts is motivation. Yes. Right? Like, I know what the story is going to be. Like, I know she's going to make a list and, like, go off and, like, live her life. And she's right. going to find a hot dude to do it with, which is basically the plot of all my favorite books. <laughs> but the um, – but um, and this one, too. But it is really tough. Often I get myself to, like, the midpoint or three-quarters of the way through. Right. And I think to myself, like – Hey, or my editor, it's more often. Let me <laughs> right. just be clear. I know Carrie listens to the podcast now, so I have to give credit where credit is due. Like, Carrie's like, mm, but why? But why? <laughs> right, but why? And it's interesting because for all the times, Jen, that we have said for romance reasons yeah. on this podcast, interestingly enough, romance reasons don't work in actual writing. Yeah, like, right. Ultimately, in the reading, it's just romance reasons. Right. But, like, you have to, as a writer, figure out why. Figure out why. And I do think, like, this near-death experience thing is a really interesting thing. I've been thinking a lot about Seth MacFarlane recently. Do you know anything about Seth MacFarlane's story? You know who Seth MacFarlane is, right? Yes. Okay, so Seth MacFarlane, for those of you who don't know, is, like, the create. He basically, like, runs the fiction half of Fox now. Oh, right. <laughs> like, sure. um, he's the creator of American Dad and Family Guy, and he made that movie with the te- with the the bear, the animatronic bear, Ted. 
And he's also, like, a mega political figure on online and likes to just absolutely shred idiots on Twitter, and that's fun to watch. But also, he recently has been producing for Hulu a, like, modern-day Star Trek called The Orville. And it's, like, basically Monster of the Week. Perfect. Or not. It's not Monster of the Week because it's Star Trek, so, like, it's exploration of the week, right? Right. And he's, like, the captain of a starship. And it actually, if you really love Star Trek, like, those old-school, like, Captain, like, uh, William Shatner Star Trek, this is for you. It's, like, literally kind of dorky. Like, the technology is, like, lasers in (laughs) the California desert. It's But it's very fun and, like... It's sort of, you know, it's nice. It's sort of nice, calm, vibey water that just washes over you. Okay. Which is what I need right now. Anyway. I was like, and this has to do with Chloe Brown. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm like, I did lose lose a lot. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm all over the place. But it does actually relate. So Seth (laughs) MacFarlane, actually, that part doesn't relate. That's just me (laughs) talking about the Orville. Anyway, we've been watching a lot of it, which is why I've been thinking about Seth MacFarlane recently. And did you know that Seth MacFarlane was supposed to be on one of the planes oh, that hit the Twin Towers. No. Wow. And he missed it. Wow. He overslept and he missed, missed his flight. And then, like, wow, almost, like, within a year, he had, like, started working on, like, his TV show. He'd sold it to, like, and I often think, like, the yeah. person who oversleeps and misses their flight on September 11th, 2001 is not the same person who ultimately ends up being, like, yeah. the head of all Fox Entertainment. Like, basically right. has, like, a bajillion dollars to just make stuff for Fox. Right. And successful stuff, no matter how you feel about their his, like, what he produces, right? And so I think this, like, question of how a twist of fate— yes can change everything. Yeah. Is really interesting because traditionally in romance, we tell ourselves like, oh, like a twist of fate isn't enough as motivation. Right. Right. Like it feels like deus ex machina, right? Like we're like just, you know, somebody, something happens to you. But that's not the case. It really does happen in real life. I think the smart, here's what I will say though. I feel like it. the reason it works is because it happens to create the problem rather than solve the problem. Yes. Right? Yes. It's what because starts Deus Ex the story. Because happens at the yeah, end right. instead of the beginning. Yeah, and so I think that that's, like, a really big part of it is, like, we then are like, okay, this is the situation. This is what happened. We are now in a world where it's like, okay, what's Chloe going to do? I think the other really smart thing about the setup and the writing of this is that happens, I think it's, like, the prologue or chapter one, and then chapter two picks up a few months later, right? She has made some progress on the list. And the first most important thing for her was to move out on her own, right? To leave her family home and leave living with her parents and to, like, kind of get her own place. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she does that, she is in the orbit of Red, who is the super, essentially, of her building. And he thinks that she's essentially, like, a princess, a rich girl. He can, like, see it all over her because of his... Well, because she's very yeah. controlled. Yes. And this is... Largely because, I mean, she's she has fibromyalgia, right? Yeah. She lives with the constant with she lives with constant pain, like chronic yes. pain, chronic fatigue. Um, but also, she lives in sort of a, a key, with a keen awareness that, like, at any moment, she will be debilitated to the point where, like, she needs to she she has to stay like on her couch or right. in her bed for right. a little while. Like, so when she is out in the world, she is. 
very controlled. Yes. She's very focused on how she looks, how she stands, how she walks, how she acts, like how she presents herself to the world because she is at the whim of her body. Right. Right. And before we, I would, I want to say like, I'm a able-bodied person, right? And so I want to make sure that like, I hope we're being sensitive and talking about, you know, her, her disability and her, right, her chronic pain. Many, many of our listeners have said, we'd love for you to do an episode on romances that include disability. Yeah. And that's tricky for us because we are two able-bodied people. Right. And so we've been thinking about like other ways that we can acknowledge acknowledge this and and sort of talk about this this in romance because it is we are seeing it more and more and hopefully we're seeing authors who are doing it really well. Yeah. Um but we're not in a position to be able to judge whether it's done well or not. So and as you all know, often when we do an interstitial like we we don't really do interstitials where we talk about you know, a group of people as represented in romance. Yeah. Right. I mean unless it's like Dumb alphas, right? <laughs> Those aren't real in real life. <laughs> That's not real people, <laughs> exactly. Um, so right? the so I think um, we're tr- we we hear you, and yeah. we actually think this is a good book. Yeah, right. For you. Right. It seems from the re- from the way that um, readers who we trust, yeah, have responded to it. It seems like this is right. A good read exactly. For you. So a safe read for you. We can put some links in show notes. Um, there are some. Folks I follow on Twitter who are um, talk a, a lot about disability and romance. Um, there was a blog about disability and romance that I think is publishes very intermittently or hasn't for a while. I mean, so I think like that's the thing too is you know I want to acknowledge this is an important part of Chloe's character and just make sure that like we're I I'm worried I'm going to say something dumb right and I don't I'm. I, yeah, we're sorry if yeah, you do. Right. Correct us, please. Yeah. But I think the thing that is a really important part of the list for Chloe is like, and that's why I think it's important, right? She's not like, I'm gonna magically get better, right? Like, and I think one of the things we talked about um with like a listener when we read uh, A Heart of Blood and Ashes is one of the most pernicious and harmful kind of stories that able-bodied people write about disabled people is the goal is to like sort of eliminate, (laughs) you know what Mm. I mean? Like to like, you know, the happy ending to an able-bodied person of this book would be that her, her fibromyalgia just like magically disappears or is cured. You know, the goal is for her to be happy and live the life she wants to live without like sort of a miracle cure. Right. And there's nothing inherently wrong with it, right? Like, yeah, right. You can live, you are living a very full life. Right, right. One of the things that's interesting about Red as a character is he loves his mother. He's like a real mama's boy. (laughs) Which I, like, honestly thought was so great. She doesn't appear. I mean, he just, like, mostly talks about her. There's times he thinks about her. But he has, is it, like, mom, like, tattooed on his knuckles or something? (laughs) And at one point when Chloe's like, you're such a mama's boy. This is a very big red flag for me. Yeah. (laughs) Look, it wasn't for Chloe, and that's what counts. Um, When when she says, like, yeah, I can tell you're a mom's boy, he's like, how? But at some point he (laughs) casually mentions, I think, that his mom is diabetic, right? And so I think one of our, like, understandings of his character is that 
he is not someone who has to, his journey is not, and this would I think be another probably really insulting thing is like heroic, able-bodied person learns to fall in love with a disabled person, right? Like there's none of that either. It's not, you know, he's just like, you're a person, I'm a person, you know, like I think you're hot as hell. (gasps) Can we talk about that? Yes. Listen, all this other stuff is very important, but I want to talk about this. (laughs) So, okay. God, yes. Oh, and here's the thing. You want to talk about something that is a cornerstone of Talia Hibbert's books. Yeah. It is a hero who is just fucking gone Gone. for the heroine from the jump. Yes. And what I mean by that is, like, the first time we're alone with Red, he's, like, having a wet dream about (laughs) Chloe Brown. I know. (laughs) He's been, like, and what I love, okay, can we also talk about the fact that I love that at the very beginning of this book, they both think the other one is, like, hates them? Oh, yeah, I love that, too. I mean, I love that trope so much. That's a, there. We've been talking so much about micro tropes in yes. romance recently. That's a micro a micro trope that I really love. The two of them like can't stop thinking about each other, and so they just like close themselves, <laughs> they, like, power down when the other one is around for right. fear that they will just like jump their bones, right? <laughs> and in this particular case, they both really have the the immense hots for each other to the point yeah. where like oh my, we'll get back to the list, but. So they have the immense hots for each other, and he's just like, I, I just want to unbutton. Yeah, like she always, he calls her button. It's she so always, cute. her clothes are always like she's always wearing clothes with buttons. Like she's very buttoned up. Yes, she's literally she's buttoned right. up. Yes. right. Name is destiny. And all, all he wants is to like undo all the buttons on her. Like the buttons drive him absolutely crazy. <laughs> I it's, know fabulous. It really is. I love it. If you like this, if you like a hero who just from the jump just wants to bone the heroine into next week. Yes. That is a Talia Hibbert hallmark. Yeah. I'm not actually sure that I can think of another writer who just like has that, uh, is on the mark with that every time. Right. Listen, like it's, why are we even here if he is not gone for her the second he sees her? And it's great. And it's (laughs) great. It is great. So we talked like a lot about her motivation, right? So her motivation is I have had this near death experience and I want if you know if that happens to me again, I want to look back and be like I lived the life I wanted, right? His motivation is very different. He has been hiding away essentially on purpose. He um loves art. Right? Like, it just moves him. He tells this great story about the first time he went to an art museum, I think, with, like, a grandparent. And it just, like, his whole entire DNA got restructured. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the part that – so then he moved to London. And this part's really interesting because he thought he had to. Right? That's where the art happens. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard. And he struggled. And then he finally made it. But he made it because his – well – he perceives it as, like, he got noticed by this rich, prissy girl, Pippa. And Pippa's dad is an art dealer, and so, like, all of a sudden, Red is on this trajectory up. But when Pippa, when they break up, Pippa essentially is like, you're nothing now. I made you. And now I'm taking it away. And Red essentially is like, fuck it. And he just disappears from that life. Like, right? Like, Disconnects his phone, his email, turns off his social media, and just is like, boom. And he goes back home and li- and essentially becomes a super in this building. And he's still painting, but it's all hidden. He's not, right? I mean, and, and so his motivation is essentially been he's in recovery mode. 
Mm-hmm. Right? And so when someone who's still actively hiding runs into the person who's like, now I'm out here trying to live a life, we can see, like, right, we can see the the conflict between them coming. This week's episode of Fated Mates is sponsored by How to Marry a Duke by Alexandra Harvey, a Cinderella Society number two. Meg Swift has a tiny little problem, Sarah. It's a problem with stealing. (laughs) I love her already. (laughs) Exactly. So her uncle has tripled the rent, and she has learned to do a bunch of things, including planting turnips, in order to make ends meet. She cannot be bothered or have time for her godfather's plans to essentially, like, find her a single gentleman at the Cinderella Ball. However... Dougal Black has been plucked from out of nowhere and is all of a sudden the next in line to be the Duke of Thorncroft. When Meg and Dougal team up together to find him a new wife, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, I think she's going to marry him herself. (laughs) These two have debutantes, treasure hunters, historic Thorncroft Abbey. Everything is happening in this book, but these two together are going to make Listen. It Can I just say, I really love a teach me how to be a Duke story. Oh. Like, I really love a Pygmalion story when it's reversed like this. Absolutely. Right? You can read How to Marry a Duke in KU right now. And uh, you can find out more about Alexandra at alexandraharvey.com. That's Alexandra with a Y, A-L-Y-X-A-N-D-R-A. As always, you can also find information about Alexandra in show notes or follow her on Twitter or Instagram. Thank you to Alexandra for sponsoring this week's episode of the show. So let's just talk about this list, right? Yeah. We should identify the items on the Tell list. Me so yeah. the first one is move out, and that's done before the book begins, yes. right? Like we, the prologue, she nearly gets hit by a bus and makes this list. Second one is enjoy a drunken night out, ride a motorbike. Luckily, Red what a, happens to have course. a motorbike. Strong Tom Hardy vibes from this hero, by the way. <laughs> um, go camping, have meaningless but thoroughly enjoyable sex, and then uh, travel the world with nothing but hand luggage, <laughs> which I really love. That's such a vibe. And uh, do something bad. Do but when we begin the book, bad. she's already done something bad, and that, or at least she thinks she's done something bad. I she thinks. Here's another no here's another microtrope I guess I love. Like this is like I love this new like this phrase microtrope because now I'm really tuned in. I'm like, oh yeah, I love that. So she based on like the ver- like the location of her apartment and his apartment, when she looks out her window, she can see him. And late at night, he like paints with just Half his food. pants on. Thank yeah. you. What a service well, you it. are to what humanity, sir. Well, that's how you make sure you don't get paint on your clothes. <laughs> sure, of course. I mean, I'm sure that's what it is. She spies on him, right? Mm-hmm. And the first time it happened, she is so like, <gasps> you know, and she like yanks the curtains closed. Like she can't believe she looked, but then she like can't stop herself from looking. And she's horrified, right? She's like, I'm a stalker. I'm doing this terrible thing. Yeah, but this dummy leads, leaves her own lights on. And while he she's knows doing it. the entire time. And I Pro love tip, it. you guys, if you're going to stop spying on your neighbors, you got to turn the lights off in your house. Yes. <laughs> But I loved it. I loved how she's like, I have done a bad thing. I've, you know, been eye-fucking my neighbor from across the courtyard. So she's going to cross out, do a bad thing on her list. And the whole time he knows and is kind of like, oh, God, now she's going to have to tell me and she's going to feel bad. And I don't even care. I think it's kind of hot. 
It's I love it. Amazing. Their chemistry is really great. Yeah, and so then like the rest of the book is sort of just like these yeah. two people. Sure. Listen, this is why lists work so well. Yeah, it's like it's not complicated. Everybody knows how it's going to go from here. There's a list. They're going to cross items off of this list. Some of these items are going to make them have to bone. It's just the way it is. I mean, going and camping. going to be like conflict related. They didn't zip the sleeping bags <laughs> together, though. Um, they there's there's going to be like conflict related to yeah the list, mm-hmm. and then they're going to like fall in love, and it's yeah delicious. I think the other thing I really ended up liking about this book is. There's some really interesting conversation about, like, why things are on the list the way they are. And also, Mm. she is open to changing things on the list, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, like, really cool for a couple reasons. So the first part is, like, when they talk about it. In particular, he is interested in camping and going around the world with just, like, a carry-on. it's not that he's interested in it. Yeah. It's that she only gives him a subset of the list. Yes, right. Because obviously she's not going to put meaningless sex on there. Right. Even though, I mean, if she had, they would have done right. that first. Right, right. He was like, okay. I Book over. Let me, let me, <laughs> let me handle that for you, ma'am. Um, Talia was like, oh no, if I put, if she gives in the whole list, right. this book is just them Well, that's the other part, on. right? Like the deeply meaningful things on the list have to stay secret mm-hmm. in order for it to work, right? Like there's the public part of the list and the private part of the list. So when he sees these, he's kind of like, are you really interested in camping? And the thing that she sort of is able to explain to him is that, like, for her, camping is, like, a stepping stone to traveling the world, right? Like, there's this logic to the way she's thinking about the things that she really wants to do. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, okay, oh, I can help you get drunk. We can go out and do that. That seems like a fun thing to do. And I can help you go camping. That seems like a fun thing to do. And really, like, that is, as you said, sort of the plot. But as Chloe, as they kind of work on items on the list, she realizes, like, oh, this isn't, like, I think it's the night they go drinking. She's like, oh, it's she not. like it. It's not, this isn't, I don't like this. This isn't what I wanted. I thought this is what I wanted, right? It was the feeling I had when I used to do this stuff with my friends. It was about community, not really about these external things. And that's the part I think that's also really interesting about Chloe. And you and I had mentioned kind of before we started recording is in a lot of ways, she feels like a very old school romance heroine because even though she has her loving family and her sisters, she is really alone. And it's sad because all of her friends and her fiance when she got sick, abandoned her. And so, right, her loneliness, a lot of the things on the list aren't, we then start to understand are not like, I don't really want to go camping, but I want our community back. I want friends. Right. I want a lover. Right. Right. I agree. I think um, I love a lot about Chloe's relationship with her sisters, but I think there's a deftness to the way that Talia marks the sisters mm-hmm. in this book in that Chloe is surrounded by people who care for her, right? Yeah. But she is, there are a couple of moments where she thinks to herself like, oh, they're just emissaries of my, my parents. parents. Even though it's clear they're not. Like, they adore her. They're, these are, this is a trio of sisters who just like, are yes. gone for each other. Right. Right? But 
she is very keenly aware of herself as, like, the one who needs to be taken care of. Yes. And so there is a solitude to that. Mm-hmm. And it she feels, and of course, yes, the, the list is about living, yeah. right? But there is a reason why she can't do it alone. Yeah. Like, because she needs, we all need companionship. I think that is, like, that is a really important lesson here, this yeah. kind of sense of we need other people to right. to cross items off our list. Right, right, right. right. And that's really, because she could easily have, like, taken motorcycle lessons. Sure. But no. Or Way whatever. better to have like, Red drive her around on his, right? Yeah, exactly. I think that's the other, um, so yeah, I mean, I found, and I, so I like that she, also changes the list, like, realizes, like, I don't know, like, right, like, it really becomes this true, like, journey of self-discovery. And, like, so, for example, then what happens is she changes sort of, you know, have hot, meaningless sex or whatever to keep Red, like, right, like, I want to keep him in my life. Like, they adore each other. (laughs) And she is smart enough to sort of say, like, I'd be dumb to throw this man away. Like, he is the one. Mm -hmm. At the same time, she is terrified because she thought she had a one before, and he left, and it was no problem. And one of my other favorite scenes in terms of, like, this discovery, she goes back to visit her her beloved grandmother, right, Mm -hmm. Gigi? Gigi, who's, like, (laughs) a specter on page for a long time. Yeah. Right, like, whispering... Yes. Naughty things. <laughs> Literally, like, Listen. jump his bones kind of things. Listen, all of she, us. Another grandma, another another romance grandma. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. If I, I would like to grow up and be this kind of romance. Like, these Listen, romance grandma in real life are the best women. I love This them. is the template for those of us who are looking down the long road of grandmadom. <laughs> yeah. If you can't be a romance grandma, get the hell out. <laughs> Go take a class. Take a class from... From Lord of Scoundrels, yes. and Chloe Brown, and Burn for Me, <laughs> right? <laughs> Siri, it's uh, honestly my favorite. The, I don't know. I miss my grandma a lot, and I and I just feel like romance grandmas are. There's nothing better. So she goes to Gigi, and like Chloe has this realization that like she's like, oh my god, my grandmother's yoga instructor is actually her lover. <laughs> she just like was like, I kind of <laughs> whoa, you know what I mean? Like I never really put two and two together here before. And she asks her grandmother, like, kind of like, what should I do? I think I'm going to get hurt. I think this is going to end up hurting. And her grandmother is basically like, love hurts. Doesn't matter. It's worth it. That's how it goes. Oh, it's so good. That's what the item is on the list, right? Right. Like, that's the list. Right. Fundamentally, like, all these list books. Yeah. It's all just, it's all just page, pages, Right? Yeah. It's all just numbered items until you get to the actual realization that your list is about love. Yeah. <sighs> I, I, my, I have a big agenda to talk about their fight, the third act kind of breakup fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like the end, and I don't know where we are. Right. If there's where a, are we at? I don't know. I'm like, I don't know where we are. Are we ready for that? Well, can we talk about the cat? Oh, yes. Smudge. Oh. Smudge. So... Part of the charm <laughs> of all this. Look, what I love about this book, too, is, like, they're just such fun little interludes. Mm-hmm. Like, every every chapter is just, like, a beautiful little vignette. Yeah. 
And I love it a whole lot. So a cat gets, <laughs> she's on a walk, right? Yes. Is that, is that how it begins? Right. Or, she's on a walk because she has to take these daily constitutionals to like, yeah, you know, make her feel better. Um, And she hates them. And they're, they're sort of like death <laughs> marches, right? And then, and then like um, she, she's walking and she sees a cat outside and uh, stuck in, in a tree. tree. And so she's like, you know what? I'm going to go on up there and help that cat, which, you know, is a way of responding to a cat in the tree. And so she climbs up this. And what's amazing about this, too, is the location in the book of this cat, cat rescue, which is right at the jump. Yes. Right? Right. So, again, like, really interesting character work here because, like, here you have this woman who's so convinced that she's, like, a stick in the mud. Yes. That, like, she has to make a list of, like, how to get a life. But, like, is the first one up a tree to, to save, save a cat, cat? When, like, that's not, like, that's, like, not the easiest thing in the world. So, no. Have I told the story about the time Maddie, my cat, got stuck in a tree? No. Did you climb it? Hell no, I didn't climb it. I went out did there. Did you call a- the fire department? No, I went out and I chastised Maddie. And I, I have a picture of how far <laughs> she was up on the tree. And I went out with a glass of wine. And I was like, Maddie, this is the city. They don't come. They don't come for cats and trees here. <laughs> you are going to need to make it down on your own. Right? So, I, like, gave her this whole talk. She was very you far berated up. I did. Cat. I berated her. I was like, and there was no way. I don't even know how she got up. I'm going to put a picture because it was wild. And I'll take a little circle. And then she was on a tiny little branch. She had no way to get back down. And so then she sort of like hung off like a sloth for a minute. And then I was like, in my brain, and I know this is wrong, I was thinking, I am actually really about to see in action the thing where like a cat falls, does it land on its feet? And? She did. I also, I feel like I've told this story before, but I'm so, I'm sorry. You haven't. I don't know this story. All right. My entire life, I, in physics class, remember the whole thing about, like, potential versus kinetic energy. Mm. And I was always like, I don't really fucking understand this potential energy thing. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? So she falls from the tree, and, like, what do you think would happen after the cat falls from the tree? Well, I'm going to tell you what happened. She immediately ran like, whoosh, so fast. Like, the exact same distance that she fell. And then, <gasps> she like... exerted the energy. Yeah, and then, like, hid under a car because she was like, what the fuck just happened to me? Yeah, and I well, was, she fell out of a tree. She fell out of a tree. And I was like, oh, my God, this is... I just... Now I understand potential and kinetic energy. Here's the other thing. This is terrible. You should teach physics. Yeah, the, Sure. You should be a guest lecturer sure. in I'll be your like, And then class. the cat fell out of the tree after I yelled at her. Here's the other part that's really funny. Also veterinary school. <laughs> months later. Like a, a few come. months later, not immediately because she seemed fine and I'm a pretty bad cat mom. Um, we went to the vet for like another reason. Oh. And the vet was like, her back feels a little tender. Did she do anything? And little romance and I just looked at each other and we're like, I don't know. No. <laughs> and what was I you supposed lied. to do? That you already happened. to a doctor. I did. About your cat. I did. It's a lot going on there. I know. A lot mentally going on there. I know. Kelly's going to call me after this and give me a sound talking to, but it's fine. Does she not know this? I don't know if oh she knows gosh. the vet story. I'm pretty Kelly. sure she knows the cat story. Maddie was an outside cat, and we took her She's into fine. our home, and then she, you know. Anyway. She was fine. She was fine. Right up until the end. I think she must have been chasing a squirrel because, I don't know, otherwise why she would have done it. Okay. Listen, back to, podcat. Back to Chloe and the Listen, cat. Listen, this is a 
you're, people are getting a lot out of this episode. <laughs> Whole Seth MacFarlane conversation, sure. and now this. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Amazon Kindle Vella, publishers of Nikki St. Crow's Hot Vampire Next Door. Okay, listen. We love a vampire here at Faded Mates. That's no surprise. This series, which is in Kindle Vella and is an ongoing Kindle Vella series, has high heat, lots of twists, and a very sexy vampire named Bran Duval. Our heroine, Jessie, finds it a little bit impossible to ignore Bran because he seems to have this habit of, like, getting naked in the window next door. What a hero. I know. I mean, I'm for it. And she, so she can't stop looking at him, and he also, like, can't stop really hitting on her and giving her, like, sexy promises and also doing sexy things to her, except there's a problem, which is that Jessie is supposed to pledge herself to a rival vampire family, uh, and all she can think about now is this black sheep vampire and all the wicked things he's promising to do to her in the dark. The first three episodes of every Kindle Vela story are free, including Hot Vampire Next Door. You can find out more by visiting amazon.com slash kindle dash Vela. Thanks to Kindle Vela and Nikki St. Crow for sponsoring the episode. Wait, but what were we talking about? Oh, the cats. The cats. Yeah. And so then, of course, because obviously it's a romance novel, Red turns up. Sure. And Chloe's stuck up in a tree. (laughs) I know. Chloe, you little, you beautiful little fool. I love you. And you're up there in the tree with that cat because you're a decent person. Yes. And then Red has to climb the tree, or not climb the tree, but Red has to like give her instructions for on getting how to get down, self back down the tree. And it's hilariously funny this scene because he's like, "Why can't you step on the the right branch or whatever?" Yeah. Anyway, long story <laughs> short, she gets down from the tree and she has this cat. Yes. Um. Points for the Breakfast at Tiffany's reference because the moment she's standing on the ground holding this cat, I was like, oh, my God, it's like Breakfast at Tiffany's. Because now she's like, I want to keep this cat, but there are no cats allowed in the building. Sure. And she's like, can I keep the cat? And he is so gone for her. And it's like chapter two. And he's like, obviously, you can have whatever you want. Like, let me just strip naked and paint in your apartment while you keep this cat. And she's like, okay. So she keeps the cat, but then, like, she's she doesn't want to steal someone's pet. Turns out. Smudge has an owner. Oh. And it's really heartbreaking. I know. I know. And that comes, what's amazing is like Smudge is around and like kind of becomes for the reader like a thing. Yeah. And right. you sort of forget that like this is not her cat. Right. Because he's clearly her cat. Right. You know what that made me think of too? Um, bet me. Right. Where like, mm. right? Like sort of cats adopt you pretty much. Right. Yeah. They're yeah. like, I've decided you're my person. And then she does. She, like, does the right thing and, like, gives the cat back. Don't worry. But happily ever after for her and the cat. And, but then when Red comes and he's like, where's Smudge? And she's like, he has an order. I know. I, he's gone. And, like, again, like, love. Yeah. Like, she let her heart, she let herself get mm-hmm. soft, right, for yeah. this animal. And then he had an owner. And she had to give it up. Ugh. It hurts. I know. So anyway, the cat is really nice. There's a cat, a nice cat moment in here. I know. I feel like I I liked it a lot. And then before we get to the end, I want to talk about emails too. Okay. Because as everybody knows, I love 
a you do an epistolary romance. You do love an epistolary romance. So That's like a great when, little part of this book. Yeah. Whenever characters decide they're going to email, because look, it's twenty twenty. Three, 2020, what, what is it? It's the end of times. It's 2022 and people don't email, really, right? Like, right. you don't send emails to your friends, really. I mean, maybe you do. Let us know if you do, if you have, like, a rich email life. But I don't. And nobody who follows me on anything will be surprised by that because I have, like, 60,000 unread emails. <laughs> That's not hyperbole, you guys. That is literally how many unread emails I have. So, but the... um. Like, I love that. So they make this deal. Because there's also a deal. Yes. In this book. Right. Um, So he's going to help her. She's basically like, I have this list. I'd really like you to help me with it and to pay you for it. And he's like, is it sex? Is that what you want to give me? (laughs) And she's like, to to pay you for it, I'm going to build you a website. And he's like, ugh. I guess. (laughs) I mean, fine. I I suppose that's the way. Um, And so... Uh, so they have, like, a little deal. And they obviously are too much of a distraction for each other when they're in person together. And he's, like, she's standing in his bedroom or right wild. Um, so she's, like, it's easier if we do this by email. Yes. Then, of course. <gasps> Their emails are so cute. So cute. Yeah. Here's what I like about epistolary love stories. And what I like about phone phone conversations in romance novels letters and romance novels, emails and romance novels, texts and romance novels, is they feel a lot like all of those things in real life, Mm -hmm. which is it is a lot harder to say to somebody's face. Yeah. You know, I call you button because I love the buttons on your clothes and, like, you're cute as a button and whatever, (sighs) right? Yes. It is a lot harder to do that when you are standing in the room with somebody and they might be like, that's ridiculous, please leave. Yeah. Than it is to write it, like— Letters, emails, phone calls all have this, like, real sense of, like, being able to bury yourself. Yeah. And I love it when writers know that and they show us those, like, private moments because it feels really authentic. And that's partially because I have an epistolary love story in real life. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it just works for me. But. I think the other thing I loved about that, and I, okay, confession time. When there's, like, a bunch of emails or things like that, I often will just go to the body of the letter and skip any identifying information mm. about, like, time or dates or whatever. Like, 50 Shades should have broken you with that, but okay. It, and yet it didn't. And so there's a part where you read, like, a bunch of emails back and forth and I sort of found myself thinking, like, oh, this must be, like, a couple of days or a week's worth of time. It was all one day. And I was like, I know. oh, that's so cute. They're just so emailing each other from the same apartment They're just waiting. building. Yes. But, like, you, you have done this. We have all done this. Where we're like, yes. check email, check email, check email. He didn't write to me. Check email, check email. Like, he didn't text so me. Like, where is he? Like, cute. Where you just, like. Your entire day gets lost to just refreshing a screen. Amazing. And that's, and so, yeah, it was so charming. And that's it. I mean, I just feel like, and you've talked about this with like nine rules. Like, I wanted to put everything I loved about a romance novel into this romance novel. Mm. I understand that, like, I think a lot of this book feels the same way, right? To me, mm-hmm. it's like, well, yeah. There's the voyeurism, the artist, the, the cat, I mean, the like, grandma, you could make the a list of, yeah. yeah, you could make a list. The motorcycle. Of, like, the microtropes in this book, and I bet it's Talia Hibbert's id list. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's a lot of people's id list, which is why I think this book 
is so beloved, right? But I think the Mm -hmm. other thing I was thinking about this book a lot is this book, we talk about, obviously, right? When you're reading romance, you're reading for feelings. This book is really tender, right? This book is, and and I really am, I'm not going to say soft because I don't really think that's the right word. This book is- It's not soft. It's not soft. This book is tender, Right? Like the way that they, I sent you a picture of Maddie's cat, where Maddie was in the tree, by the way, if you're looking at your text. Um, I think I found myself really thinking, like, these are people who, you know, they're wearing their wounds, right? Their fears, like so close to the surface. Mm-hmm. And so to see these two people like really trying to be as careful as possible with each other, and it it's so I just really did. I just thought like everyone deserves to be treated like <laughs> like in Bull Durham. There's a part where he's like, "It's an egg, hold it like it's an egg," <laughs> and I just found myself thinking like like Red and Chloe are really like holding each other like they're eggs, and I mm-hmm. really just really. I don't know. I think that was the part two. Like, if you are like, God, the world is such a hard, cold place, this book, I think, is, like, the, a thing that will make you feel differently, right? And I yeah. love that a lot. Until, mm-hmm. of course, they have the big fight. But I think it's the big fight is brilliant. So, Well, so let's talk about the fight. Okay. So here's the thing. This is a this is spoil. I mean, the whole thing is spoilers, obviously. But if yeah. you're planning on reading this book now, yeah. you should go away and then come back and read it and then come back to us. We are constantly defending, like, the third act breakup. So I don't want to necessarily frame it as that, but I want to frame this as a very brilliantly done third act breakup in the sense that it is, I think, how, in my experience, people fight in real life. Right? Like, so often, the like, sometimes if it's, like, a really high-stakes external plot, the thing that breaks them up is some high-stakes external thing. But mm-hmm. in this case, what we get is essentially his deepest fear running headlong into hers. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I really like to – so basically what happens is um, her sisters arrive while he, they are, like, in bed together in her apartment. And she is, like – and. She had hurt him earlier when they ran into someone and she doesn't sort of say, this is my boyfriend or my friend. And he thinks, you know, it really like tweaks him because Pippa treated him essentially like he was like an extra in her life. And so she really understood that that hurt him. And so when her sisters arrive, she's kind of like, well, do you want to come out and meet them? And he's like... (laughs) I don't have any clothes on. It's fine. And so she's like, okay, I've got this. And he realizes that she is going to try and, like, hide the fact that he's there. And he kind of thinks it's cute because he's, like, you know, he's thinking, like, you know, my shoes are out there. The sisters are going to know she's got a man back here. So then what happens is she goes out and they start teasing her about the list and about how it has, like, you know, have a great one-night stand or whatever on Meaningless it. Meaningless sex. sex. Right? And he is back there, and he hears this, and he is thinking, and essentially all, his brain just, he goes full McGreeve brain. Right? Just fuzz. I Because it literally is the, 
you know, it's like the he's the Death Star and somehow the sister has shot the thing right into like the one most vulnerable point of him, which is to be to be meaningless, right? Again, to just be used by this rich girl. Mm-hmm. And he and I what I also really liked about this fight, this scene, is you can see him trying to calm himself down, trying to say to himself, Chloe wouldn't do that. Yeah, and this isn't meaningless, right? Like, right. it's so clearly not me- right. meaningless. But, but he can't. It's still there. It's still there, and it just starts getting bigger and bigger. So, this, you know, sisters leave or whatever. Chloe comes in and realizes he is freaking out and tries to figure out what it is. And the other thing I really liked about this scene is she is completely aware that he is just freaking out. And she's like, I'm going to help him. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to, like, support him through this because I can tell that whatever this is is just, like— but he then, like, the, she can't help herself either. And I I really felt like, I don't know, you guys, maybe it's like a little TMI, but every single really, truly terrible fight I've ever had with anyone, not just my husband, has been a point, like, there's that exact same pattern where I'm like, I'm going to try and do the right thing. I'm going to try and keep calm. And then at some point, I can't. And I just blow through all of my feelings and emotions and go to whatever deepest, darkest place I have. Mm-hmm. And that person does the same thing, and then it's a fucking disaster. And mm-hmm. I read this scene and was like, this is the best fight I've ever read in a romance novel. It is really terrific. Yeah. Because, and it it just goes to that sort of misunderstanding place. Like, mm-hmm. I, there are few critiques of romance novels that set me off more than... Yes. They misunderstandings just to are useless. Yeah. Right? No, misunderstanding misunderstandings are the whole ballgame yes. in relationships. Yes. They just are. Yeah. And like in large part because when you misunderstand something that I have done, it's because we don't fundamentally understand each other. We are not yeah. the same people. We have to learn each other. Right. Right? Yes. And it these are tests. These are tests of a relationship. They are tests of a love. And that's true of all, by the way, that's true of all misunderstandings in all relationships, not just romances, like friendships too, suffer misunderstandings. And like, these are the moments that make or break them, right? And this is, it doesn't matter that it feels simple. It doesn't matter that she can just say like, how could you possibly think that this was meaningless? Like, what matters is he's harmed and she doesn't know how to fix it because she doesn't know him well enough. Yeah. That's really interesting, too. That comes back, speaking of, you don't know me as a kind of painful twist of the knife Yeah, is in this book several times. And again, it's that kind of sense of, you don't know me, meaning, like, we're not close. Yeah. Right? At the beginning, it's like, you don't know me at all, right? Right, And then it's, you don't know me, but I want to learn to know you. I want to know you. Yeah. And then, like, this misunderstanding feels yeah. enormous because she shared so much of herself and he doesn't know her. Yeah. Of course he does. So I just said, one of the things I like about this book is that it's so tender. These are nice people who fall in love and are, like, good people who love their families, like, want to be good people in the world. And yet... When push comes to shove and they feel unsafe or they feel harmed or hurt, the knives come out. 
even nice people, when they fight, can fight mean. Mm-hmm. Right? And there is, and those things can exist well, simultaneously. Especially Chloe, though. Yeah. Who's so buttoned up. Right? Yes. And what's fascinating about this is very, very early in the book, maybe, I don't know, 10 pages in or something, Chloe, we're in Chloe's POV, and Talia tells us a story about how she that she's a neighbor who has the same la- who is also C Brown. And the neighbor, I don't know, opens her mail or does like accidentally gets her mail and like I forget exactly yep. what the infraction is, but there's an infraction. <laughs> and Chloe, in a fit of pique, pours her entire cup of tea into the neighbor's mail slot. Right. Right. And I highlighted this part of the book because I was like, this feels extreme. (laughs) But what's fascinating about it is like, of course, a person who feels that they must be in total control all the time. Right. Else cede to all the things that are challenging them. Right. Would do that. Yeah. And then, of course, the person who would do that would bring out the knives in yeah, this final thing. right. I mean, and and he does too, right? Like, and so they're essentially, I mean, he is just like, I mean, total McReeve brain. They have this terrible fight that really, even though they both try to calm it down, like escalates essentially into huge conflagration. And mm-hmm. then the part that I really love is, you know, for Chloe, it's like safety is like sort of paramount, both her like physical, but her emotional safety. And, you know, when she, when he leaves or is about to walk out the door, she basically says, like, if you walk out right now, you can never come back. Right? Oh, boy. Right? Because it's like, I can't. Who I can't. among us? Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, don't, like, if you cannot even, this is the first time we're going through this thing and you are ready to walk out the door, don't you fucking do it. And, of course, he walks out the door. Right now, yes, he does. the only now again, this is where I'm really like showing like when I have a fight like this, I need a couple days to calm down. Right, I literally will not engage for 48 hours because I just need to like it takes a while for me to back out of my real Scorpio energy. Oh yeah, yep. right. He like walks out the door and like almost as soon as he's out, he like he doesn't really leave. He just like collapses against the door. Right. I also love this. They're on two sides of the door, and um. He almost immediately, <laughs> right? It is. Yeah, it's super hot. Right. He's like, I can only go so far. We're tethered, right? This is like adjoining bedrooms. Yes. Sexy time. Yeah, perfect. He can't almost immediately is sort of like, wait, what the fuck just happened, right? And we see him sort of trying to figure it out, but now she is in a place that cannot be reached. And it is, like, I, I do, I, I really think this is probably one of the best fights I've ever read in romance in terms of just hitting, like, the fear, the anger, the, like, unreasonableness, but at the same time, you understand what both of them, why both of them feel the way they do. Mm-hmm. It's it's so great. It's such deft work. Yeah. This is what I meant at the beginning when I said there's so much character work here because, mm-hmm. you know, this adage of, like, show, don't tell, right? Like, Talia never once tells us what's wrong with these people. Yeah. Like, what what has installed all of their deep wounds. Yeah. It's all showing. Mm-hmm. And so by the time this happens, it's just been, it's been cooking. Yes. In our brains, like, and it's just such a logical test of the relationship. Yeah. 
That's what I want to start calling the third arc breakup. The relationship test, yeah. The final test. Yeah. Well, and what I then really loved about it. So so then what happens is he is like, oh, shit, I fucked up. So he writes her a letter, which she doesn't read, <laughs> which I Adorable. appreciate. She's like, no, I will not be reading this. And starts sending her presents. The things Adorable. that she will love, right? And... She And she's just like, I will remain cold to this. This will not work on me. I love it. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? And when they finally, like, sort of get it together and talk, right, she says to him, she says, relationships aren't supposed to hurt. And he says, he says, life hurts. It's unavoidable. But Mm -hmm. I know the difference between torture and growing pains. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's also something really powerful here about somebody who has had to um, really manage pain and learn to live with pain. Yeah. Um, just not being able to handle this kind of pain. Yeah. Like I think because this kind of pain is it it's different, right? Yeah. It and uh and having to learn how to manage this too. There's something so Chloe's a great character. Yeah. Yeah. And Red's a great character. Yeah. Straight up I love his mother for being like, this baby's a redhead. I'm gonna name him Redford. I'm leaning into this. No. Redford? Is that right? Was I? Redmond. Red- Redmond? Oh, no, Redford. Redford. It is Redford. And I was like... Like Robert. Yeah, it's like, good for you. <laughs> Lean in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're really... Chloe's a great character. Chloe's a great character. He... He's a great character, too, but this is really Chloe's book. Oh, for sure. Like, you would just feel like... You've not yet read Marrying Winterborn, but in Marrying Winterborn... He tell like Winterborn tells somebody that basically someone's like, Why do you think you deserve Helen? And he's like, Look, no one deserves Helen. So it might as well be me. Yeah. <laughs> and that is like, right? Like Redford, I think, is really like Red, you know, is like, okay, like no one really deserves her, but it might as well be me. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that. We should also talk about Vic. Oh, yeah. Red's, Red's friend yes. who owns the building. Who's, like, just, like, a super rich, like, like young dude who owns a bunch of buildings. And um, who's, you know, has a a lovely partner. I think wife, but partner, at least. And um, who totally clocks Red's obsession with Chloe Mm -hmm. from the jump. Like, oh, it's great. Who's going to have the cat? This lady. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Right? Oh. I really, I... There's a lot to be charmed by in yes. this book. Yeah. So if you are looking for like just a really fun, quick, lovely read where you are gonna you are gonna smile. Like yeah. you are gonna smile this whole book. And like that is pretty great. That's a pretty fun way of reading. Yeah, it is. I think it's terrific. I have not read book two, just I don't know, the Me way either. the way life goes. Because um, there's a pile of them just on my yeah. I have read book three, and book three is also terrific. So I can 
I can tell you that you will not be sad if you continue down the path of the Brown sisters. Well, here's the thing. We know enough. We've read enough Talia Hibbert in our days to know that she's going to deliver. Yeah. And that's, you know what, God, God bless the authors who deliver every time. You just know even a bad, even a bad one from one of them is better than so many others. So I am really happy that we chose this. It felt like the right book for the right time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What's so? This is our final read along for season four. That's true. Oh, we should tell everybody about our schedule. We should. So, so as per usual, everyone, we are going through August, and the final episode of the season will be the Heartbreaker episode. We have another one more Trailblazer this season. We do. It's a good one. It's a good one. Um, and then we won't, we, Jen and I are taking a break, Jen and Eric and I, mm-hmm. no, just Jen and I actually are taking a break for two weeks. Um, and those two, the final week of August and the first week of September will be episodes that, um, are already as in the can as they say, but you will still hear us on Wednesdays. You might actually hear us more than just on yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, we'll just see how those we'll see weeks. What happens, yeah. Um, because we have a few things that we have saved up that we thought we'd we'd drop for you. And then season five. Five. I know, Sarah. It's not a toddler anymore. It's not. It's a full-on, it's ready to go to school. That will start, I think, September 14th. Pretty exciting. And we have plans for everything to just continue. continue. Yeah. Like we used to, like someone's like, what will the seasons five theme be? And I was like, like season four, but again. Yeah. We like, we, I'll tell you what, Jen and I really enjoyed season four. Yeah. As a structure. Yes. Um, and so we're still going to do trailblazers because there are many, many, many trailblazers to continue with. Yeah. Um, and we are still going to do periodic deep dives and probably more interstitials. Yeah. I mean, more like the the last half of season four, I think. Right, right. So, and we're excited. Also, as a reminder, we are recording this weekend uh, together a live, you know, just Jen and me in a room together. And we're taking questions, we're taking rec requests, and we're doing our fun, um, it's a 10, but... It's structure. a 10. So My favorite the one. The book I- is a 10... But it's a cliffhanger. Yeah. And then we have to answer it. So if you have any of those, you can click on the button on the main page of the website, fatedmates.net, and um, share with us your questions, your comments, your, you know, rec requests, and drop a fun It's a 10 for us. And uh, we'll be recording that and dropping that. That episode will come sometime in August. Can I tell you my favorite one of those It's a 10s I've seen this week? Mm-hmm. It's a 10, but Excel thinks she's in October. Ah, uh, <laughs> wait, it took me a second. I was like, what? Oh, you know, <laughs> my, bir- my birthday is in October, so that was like a real instantaneous thing. No, I was like, that I was, get it. yeah, it was funny. I was like, that's funny. That is funny. Excel jokes for the win. Clever <laughs> spreadsheet jokes. <laughs> Anyway, um, join us at FadedMates.net. Follow us on Twitter at FadedMates, on Instagram at FadedMatesPod. Leave us questions at FadedMates.net. 
uh, pre-order Heartbreaker from a bookstore near you. You get a Fate of Mates sticker if you order it from Word. Um, Fate of Mates Live is this weekend. If you're coming, we're so excited. Like, we're like... Yes. Kind of vibrating with excitement over here about Fate of Mates Live. Don't forget that it's mask required. So, um, you know, mask up. And, uh, oh, and you can order books from Old Town Books from any of the authors who are at Fate of Mates Live signed to be delivered to your house, even if you missed it. So that is a fun thing that we are doing. Thank you to Alexander Harvey and Kate McBrien for sponsoring this week's episode of the show. We hope that you will support our sponsors. That's how you can support us. Have a great week, everybody. 